Hey Phil. Hey Laurie. How you doing, listeners? It's uh, season two, episode thirty-eight of Super Belly Bros in Movie Land. Perhaps soon to be called the Movie Land Podcast with Laurie and Phil. Ooh. How's that make you feel? Can Phil? we get rid of the the? Just what do you mean, Movie Land? Movie Land with Laurie and Phil. Mm. Yeah, could be that. Might be sad time to say a wave goodbye to Super Belly Bros as a concept. Sad times, but maybe it's needed. Well, what do you think, listeners? Really might happen. Really might be called the Movie Land Podcast soon, or just Movie Land with Laurie and Phil. You need to let us know. But for the time being, you know, we're still the same old, same old. Phil, what are we doing this week, man? Isn't it a bit special, a bit different? A bit different. There are not that many, well, in in quotes, big releases this week. And so therefore, Laura and I have decided instead to do a bumper what we've been watching. Yeah, we've got six films this week. Don't worry, it's not going to be a really long one. They're going to be fairly rapid fire. Phil, what are your three? My three are Circle, not The Circle, but just no. Circle from 2015. I'll explain more in a little bit. Austin Powers Gold Member, the third one with Michael Caine. <laughs> yeah. And then finishing it out with True Romance, a film I was interested in because it's written by Quentin Tarantino, but not directed by him. Was it before his directorial efforts as well? It was after Reservoir Dogs, but very early on in Quentin Tarantino's career. And this film is directed by Tony Scott, who did Enemy of the State nice. and lots of other films as well. Okay, and I have got the 1987 version of Robocop, directed by Paul Verhoeven, not the recent remake. I've also seen Shooter, starring Mark Wahlberg, which is based on a series of novels. I didn't realise this. The main character is called Bob Lee Swagger. Bob Lee Swagger? <laughs> yeah, what a great character to build a book series on. That sounds like a joke. Well, we'll wait and see, won't we? And my final one is Air heads which is a 1994 bizarre sort of dude comedy starring brendan fraser but also adam sandler and steve buscemi it's a really odd one so that's the films we're going to be going through we're also going to chuck in a little bit of movie news and maybe a little thought from laurie as there always is oh yeah and then we'll round it out with some emails and tweets at the very end of the show yes thank you very much for getting in touch and you know it's interesting you say always got a thought phil you know listeners as as the podcast took shape two years ago nearly one of my key maxims to phil as we put it together, you wouldn't believe, you know, how professional this all is behind the scenes. Was that no one cares who we are? <laughs> well, let's not waste anyone's time, especially not in the intro. A lot of podcasts I thought were really self-indulgent. They, you know, talk about their lives and how they're getting on all the time, and I just thought, you know, I don't care. I've, I've listened, I've tuned in to listen to film reviews and things. But you know, Phil, I thought I'd reverse that today, and I thought I'd put some of our normal bonus content in the intro. Are you ready for some of that? Oh, really? Why? Oh, oh I don't know. I just thought maybe this is super controversial. Do you think it is? I'm just I think curious it is. to know what what listeners think because this is also a special week isn't it it's a bit of a different one you're just trying new things you trying know trying new things crazy you know it's like in friends here. when they just uh, they did that sort of dream episode where they put monica and chandler uh, right. like they experimented with it and then it different became an couples. actual thing oh imagine that okay so here you go listeners this is not gonna be worth it so enjoy i was uh, at the gas station today phil filling out the car that smell is amazing what is so what good are you about talking that about do you not love the smell of petrol no, it what? smells like poison. Well, this probably isn't going to work now. I think it's amazing. I was taking deep breaths and I thought I probably shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> That's probably why it smells amazing. Your brain's <laughs> slowly dying. Do you think so? Well, I don't okay. think it's a good smell. So you're not going to be on board with me on this one. But I was thinking, why is that smell so nice? What is so appealing about it? Because surely there is nothing appealing about like fuel. You couldn't eat it or drink it. Why? Yeah, that's it why it doesn't smell good. Precise. Well, then I was thinking, but it, as I think that it does, and I think a lot of people would agree with me, as Ron Burgundy, Anchorman would say, it's pure gasoline. I was thinking, <laughs> is it because... 
It's like made of dinosaurs. Is it because it's <laughs> fossil fuel? This is just because you've been to the Natural hence, History Museum. Yes, yesterday I did. But then hence, it's like a sort of delicious smoothie from the past. So <laughs> if you like a dinosaur burger, right, condensed and sort of combined with the exotic uh, fruits and plants of the, uh, I don't know, Cretozoic era <laughs> or whatever. Pangea. And is that why it smells so appealing? Because actually it's like a delicious dinosaur barbecue. Just so you're saying thought. petrol is the equivalent of... Uh, Robinson's fruit juice or something like that. Or a smoothie, a really, you know, or like those horrible Ella's Kitchen ones where it's like a roast dinner in pulp form. It's the most revolting thing ever, but they smell nice. Oh. There you go. That's the end of my little bonus <laughs> thought for the day. That's what I thought that earlier on in this fine morning. Should we get on with the show? Yeah, listeners, if you uh, have ever wondered what on earth is Laurie doing, maybe that's because you've never made it to the end of a Super Baby Bros episode. <laughs> but that's some of the fun we have right towards the end. And how very much fun it was. Right, let's get going. <laughs> Okay, shall I start with Shooter, the most recent of all the films, I think it is? Marky Mark, Mr. Mark Rapperman. Out of his funky bunch to deliver an action spectacular. Here's the trailer, Shooter. My boy! Bubbly Swagger, you're a hard man to find. Not hard enough. There's going to be an attempt on the life of the president. The shot will be taken from beyond a mile. Five or six men in the world make a shot like that. We need you to stop it. Out of all the men alive on the planet, you're one of the few people who knows what to look for. This guy knows what he's doing. You gotta take him. This is a setup. Take him. Take him now. The would-be assassin, Sergeant Bob Lee Swagger. I didn't do whatever they said I did. I'm in some bad trouble and I need some help. They delivered me on a tray wrapped up like a present. Swagger is still alive. That's the hassle with democracy. There's always a confused soul that thinks that one man can make a difference. And you have to kill him to convince him otherwise. In a conspiracy, all those sands are drained. You need to back off this. Agent Memphis. I got a plan. I think I'm going to need your help. What are you going to do? I'm going to find them. I'm going to burn their playhouse down. This is a Delta level clearance request. He's trained in counter intel. This guy's good. There's going to be more shooting. More people are going to die. I didn't start it, but I mean to see it through. We got him. How could you miss? He was this close to you. It's about to get worse. The world ain't what it seems, is it? No, sir. You keep that in mind. I have something you want. Where are we meeting? Somewhere I can see you. Coming from a long way off. Mm, there we go. Now, Phil, do you know who the last person I heard describe a gun or a shooter of a gun as a shooter? Do you know that who that was? That uh, was Mr. Alan Partridge. He's, He's got, got a shooter! shooter. <laughs> Great line. <laughs> Listeners, well, I'm struggling to quite know how to talk about this film. So it's based on, I think it's loosely based on Point of Impact, uh, which is a novel out of a series of novels by Stephen Hunter. Based on the film, it must be one of those ones you pick up at an airport and don't finish and then throw in the bin. Basically. A bit like Lee Child's sort of Jack Reacher style. That kind of thing, right? And 
And he's an amazing sniper. Mark Wahlberg plays Bob Lee Swagger, a sniper who's just the best ever. He has a really tough time at one point uh, while he's in active service and stuff goes terribly wrong for him. So he's kind of traumatized and secluded himself with his dog in a remote mountain thing. But he's got this reputation as being the best. So when Danny Glover turns up as a high ranking guy from the army, I think he is a colonel uh, and says, we need your help. He's a bit suspicious. He doesn't really want to work with the army because he feels like they haven't treated him properly in the past. But what sways him into getting involved is that Danny Glover's character says, well, we've been told the president is going to be assassinated or there's going to be an assassination attempt on him soon. And it's going to be a sniper shooting from a crazy distance away. So the kind of shot that only a total expert could make. So their own sort of counterterrorism, counterinsurgency uh, strategists aren't really the guys to do it because they just don't they don't, they don't work the on that assumption. Right. Whereas Bob Lee Swagger does. And he's got distinguished service records and that kind of thing. So they think they can they play on his patriotism and his love for his country that he can come in and suggest to them possible ways that this assassination could happen he could plan it that's the kind of the big line in the film we need you to plan an assassination on the president you know so that we know what this person might do and therefore we can stop them it sounds like an odd way to frame it but do you get the general concept yeah but of course phil as you will have picked up from that riveting trailer there's a double cross involved he doesn't know who has double crossed him it might not have been this guy the danny glover guy it might have been someone else but either way there was a shot that rang out and it looks like he's going to take the fall for it because, of course, he, pr- he could have planned it. There's a plan that he could reasonably have done. So he has to go on the run. He's running away from the FBI. He's running away maybe from the CIA. He doesn't really know who he's running away from. But he's got to try and clear his name and figure out who is behind this uh, assassination attempt while staying alive with everyone gunning for him. Fortunately for him, as also heard in that trailer, this guy's good, right? He's been trained in counterintelligence. Like Jason Bourne. Yeah, it's like Jason Bourne. So he knows the way not to get tracked is to go to an internet cafe. That's the level of <laughs> sophistication. Whoa, my goodness. He knows his stuff. Don't he totally access knows Facebook. how to wear a baseball cap in public <laughs> so that he can't be spotted. He also knows how to shave off his terrible, terrible ponytail and bum fluff beard <laughs> so that he just looks like Mark Wahlberg again. This is a film that desperately wants you to think you were clever by watching it and you know i have a certain amount of sympathy with a film like that because actually that's quite an enjoyable experience isn't it if you can sit there and you can guess maybe what he's about to do or you can say to yourself oh i know why he did that is so that he won't be picked up for this reason or that reason you know like oh he's choosing to wear gloves at this point because of this or he's choosing to go over there because of that then you enjoy it as much because you feel like you're clever as you're watching someone else be brilliant at what they do. And often the reality, I would imagine, is that people who are really good at what they do, they're probably quite boring to watch because the actual way to succeed at those things probably isn't, you know, explosions and amazing shots and action sequences. So it tries to walk that line. I think it falls flat. It's a terribly convoluted mess of a plot. The performances are so average. Even Mark Wahlberg with his angry face uh, can't intimidate you into thinking he's good at it. The only person who sort of emerges out of it fairly well is Michael Pena, who was in Ant-Man recently as the comedy man. A fast-talking guy who was in the jail cell with Paul Rudd. He was also in The Martian as an astronaut. He's sort of rising up the ranks quite quickly. And he's actually, he's better to watch than Mark Wahlberg. He's an FBI guy who gets caught up in it all. Is he um, tracking Mark Wahlberg a bit? He, he is, but he also kind of weirdly gets roped into helping him out down the line as well, as Mark Wahlberg tries to clear his name. And their interplay is quite good. There's little traces of almost buddy comedy, buddy action partnership things going on, because he's the inexperienced agent and Mark Wahlberg's grizzled veteran can help him out and stuff. But none of that can make up for the idiocy of what's going on. There are 
action sequences where he takes out like 20 guys all by himself just because he's so awesome at what he does and you can just hear the people who love these books defending it saying no 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 actually someone who really did know what they were doing was really good at making a leaf net <laughs> to cover their their uniform would be able to take out 20 guys on their own and the mere fact that i can imagine someone saying that makes me hate the film even a little bit more do you know what i mean phil do you not think it's that special type of movie which is a movie where a bunch of blokes get together and say oh let's watch this dumb film and kind of enjoy the fact that it's dumb it takes itself way too seriously for that that's then, his big failing and it's partly it's because it's directed by that guy Antoine Fuqua uh, who he just doesn't know how to direct anything with any lightness he's got this really I think he's actually quite a poor director there's a visual style that has a kind of graininess to it and uh, a sort of style of colour palette and a slow approach to editing and cuts and scene like direction and stuff where really he should be making video game adaptations they're they're the only other films i can think of that take themselves as seriously as that and don't have any zip or pace you know what i mean you know a special poor notice has to go to kate mara who i think has a really thankless task you like rooney mara a lot don't you and this is her sister right yeah your little sister i think rooney mara being girl dragon tattoo social network She's been in quite a few movies where she's, she's impressed in me. Carol, was she not as well? She's yeah. been in a lot recently. Uh, Oscar nominated she was for that. Whereas Kate Mara, it was on House of Cards. She was a recurring character on there. And she's been in little bits. She was in Fantastic Four reboot, the one which was terrible. Yeah, as the Invisible so Woman. Trank, so she's not really quite made the transition to film. But people like her as well. She's good. I think like the thing is, you can tell she would be really a good screen presence in another role but it's such a terrible part and you know listen this is kind of the last thing i'll say on it because we're, we're trying to do this quite quickly i really don't like these roles she plays the widow of one of his old partners in when he was in the services uh, and they were good buddies and everything but they haven't kept in touch and so of course when he has nowhere else to go he goes to her and to get her help and they have this scene and the and these kind of conversations where she's obviously a damsel who is kind of going to fall for him like because he knew her old husband and he's kind of a tough guy and i just think it really annoys me because she's just so plainly there to be a foil for him to show us how great a guy he is that he knows how to handle women who've got you know troubled women Mm. that really bugs me it's something that we cut out of my deadpool review a long time ago i really there's something i really hate about films as a way of making the man look good yeah i just think throwing these forgettable female characters who are just there to yeah and especially characters who are kind of damaged in some way or or another as if they lack the ability to handle it themselves and really the person who's going to turn it around is this chap who's just turned up to be nice to them i just there's something about i haven't put my finger on it quite when i do feel we'll do a feature on it uh, but i really i just thought she had a thankless role there and I, I that was a real shame for me that's kind of it really very disappointing and the end is the most opaque pointlessly convoluted twist-filled ending uh, for a simple film i think i think maybe i've ever seen i've seen that a lot at the moment but i think it's really true it's got a terrible ending if you think oh, i can stick through it just to get to the rambo climax where he takes everyone out you're going to be disappointed and you're not going to understand what on earth happened you're not going to understand who these people are who are turning up you're not going to understand why these people are not being arrested you're not going to understand how he thinks he can get away with that trust me the ending makes no sense and it's a really it's like a slap in the face for having put up with the mediocrity of the last two hours so for me phil shooter gets a c minus very oh, really wow okay. very very poor i think yeah. they're just about to they either have or are about to release a netflix series called shooter which i think is probably based on the same books and series that 
Um, I'm wondering, is it bad source material or bad direction and bad filmmaking? Personally, I think a bit of both. This is wish fulfillment of the worst kind, in my opinion. It's these guys who like to think, yeah, like given the right motivation, I could be some kind of uh, Avenger. I could be. It's like it's like a superhero film, basically, but it's set but in a, the military world. An embarrassingly adult one, if that makes sense. That shooter, right? Film hit us with a good one, please. I do a fun one. Austin Powers, Gold Member. Nice. He is brilliant. He is deadly. And he is still surrounded by frickin' idiots. Think! This summer... I am a sexy beast! Secrets will be revealed. Lower the globe! Lower the globe! Ow! Ow! I'm okay! I'm okay! Release the meteor! No way! Raise the bomb! (laughs) One of our best agents has been kidnapped. It's your father. An evil pact. Who has my father? The aptly named gold member. A dangerous mission. Where can I find this gold member? 1975. He is, ladies and gentlemen. It's gold member! I am from Holland. Oh! Isn't that weird? <laughs> a foxy partner. A foxy Cleopatra. And I'm a whole lot of women. <laughs> a family secret. Dad! Hello, son. Your spy car's a mini. It's not the size, mate. It's how you use it. <laughs> now, it's time to face the truth. <laughs> We've been trying for years to get a mole inside Dr. Evil's lair. And here he is. So you're the... Nice to mole you. Meet you. I said mole. Stop. Mole. Bye. Mole. On July 26th. Right on, sugar. Can you keep a secret? Molly, 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 molly. New Line Cinema presents... Oh, I'd like to have a go with that, Philly. Shut your mouth. Mike Myers. I haven't laughed that hard since I was a little girl. Thank you. Introducing Beyonce Knowles. Michael Caine. <laughs> you know, all kids are different, eh? For example, Minnie Me loves chocolate. Scotty Do. So we're gonna do this. Scotty Do. Uh-huh. How about you, Oh, you're like, I don't get it. How about you, Dory? What do you. How about you, Dory? Oh. oh. Honestly. Charles. Look, I don't. Can we just. Comb your lips. Just snow right here, Scotty Do. Austin Powers in Gold Member. <laughs> <laughs> Opens July 26th. Molly, 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 Molly. <laughs> so, Dude, you can't say that. It's so mean to people with moles. That's a funny joke, though. Is it? Well, Maybe I don't it know. Anymore. Maybe oh, it's not anymore. Right. That's the big question. Is, is it? Mm. Well, now you brought us right down. I thought this was supposed to be a fun review. It is a fun one because I saw this. <laughs> yeah, okay, I saw this on TV the other day, and I thought, oh, great, let's watch this. This is fun. And I was watching it with my fiance. Very nice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, in the intro, you've got the film of Austin Powers being made by Steven Spielberg. Tom and Cruise, so, isn't it? Tom Cruise is Austin Powers. That's and brilliant. And so Ellie was like, wait, is that, is this, what? Which film is this? She hadn't <laughs> seen it before. So I enjoyed that very much. But regardless, this is the third film in the franchise. And uh, Mike Myers is back playing his parody of James Bond. In this film, he's got Michael Caine in it as well, who plays his father. Of course. And then also, Beyonce Knowles is in it as Foxy Cleopatra. Mm. Uh, I think Beyonce, first of all, is 
pretty good. She's good. I, yeah, much better I, actress I than uh, man, Rihanna. Yeah. Yes, well, Rihanna in uh, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets did not cover herself in glory, as they say. No, but Beyonce, I think, actually was very watchable, very fun, and just quite a good character, I thought. So the basic plot, if you haven't seen the film, is Austin Powers has to go back in time to uh, try and track down, I think, his father, and also because Dr. Evil's gone back in time so that he can get gold member, uh, a guy from Holland with a gold... Yeah, yeah sure, sure. He's got a super laser. It's all very ridiculous and time travel and it sort of parodies all those classic Bond movies. But the thing which I was thinking about watching it again is this is kind of weird because the the thing which is parodying is so out of date that it, it doesn't have a reference point anymore. And so you've just got this kind of silly world of Austin Powers. Austin Powers almost becomes its own category rather than kind of being a tack on to James Bond. It just exists in its own little because way. Because James Bond has moved on in its sort of portrayal of all this Completely. stuff. Completely. Daniel Craig the, and all that sort of stuff, it's done. It was Pierce Brosnan when Austin Powers was really happening, wasn't it? Yeah, but even then it was still parodying the sort of Roger Moore days, the Blofeld and the sharks with lasers on their heads. Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. And suddenly I thought, okay, well, so if it's not got that to kind of fall back on in the sense that it's making fun of that... What is it really doing? And essentially, it's kind of like a sketch show of Mike Myers' characters and his uh, fat Scottish character, his Dr. Evil voice, Austin Powers. And it's slightly, I don't know, suddenly it seemed very out of date. And that scene, which I thought was hilarious when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, the Molly Molly scene, where he just makes fun of a, a guy with a huge mole on his face. It kind of, it was funny, but at the same time, I'm thinking... Oh, yeah, maybe that would be upsetting if you were a real person oh, with a mole on your face. The thing you like, well, as you say, Phil, I remember that scene as well, but more from my childhood days, and I associate it with it being funny, but I haven't seen this film exactly. for and a that's, long time. And that was the weird thing in my head. It's a very funny movie, and there are bits in it that are very funny, but there's also bits of it which are just kind of a bit... It's amazing to think how much time's moved on and how much the idea of what a classic sort of man idea what masculinity is like because Austin Powers is a sort of ridiculous character and he's he's a parody of masculinity and James Bond who's the sort of height of masculinity but I don't know if you remember there's a scene where he meets some uh, Japanese fans of his and uh, they've got sort of hilarious names which sound a bit naughty but then mm, actually not no I don't remember that it sounds like I'm glad that I don't yeah but it was just suddenly this sort of very on the nose racial joke and then also he's got this bucket list of things he wants to do and he crosses it off. And it just seems a little bit, I don't know, it just doesn't sit very well in the modern day. Well, maybe you'd be the person to talk to about the general decline of Mike Myers' career because he did that film The Love Guru, which everyone just hated. Maybe it's more to do with the fact that his shtick is just out of date. But that seems very strange because Austin Powers is like probably one of the biggest comedy franchises there's ever been i can't think of any other films maybe apart from the hangover that have managed to make three rush hour yeah but uh, no, <laughs> not, it's more of a kung fu movie i'd say yeah fair enough okay i mean I, the stuff that rem- uh, stays with me from austin powers that i probably would still laugh at would be him in his golf carts doing the thousand point turn or whatever it was mm. uh the uh henchman the evil henchman's family finding out that he's been killed uh, and they're throwing a party for him at home and they just hear he's never coming back do you not remember that yeah that's quite good. And then the, the melon stuff, the practical gags. And like the... The, the, the spaceship. The spaceship. Yeah. The, oh, Johnson, did you see what that is? It looks like a giant... And then, yeah, 
those are the best bits that those recurring gags but just which is so silly and just quite funny because how long they go on for they're sort of well proven as well they're not that original it's just good comedy I think and then also the scene which I really like is the the shadow puppet sort of scene where oh yes from from one perspective it looks ridiculous (laughs) like on a doctor's bed through the curtain yeah exactly those scenes hold up but essentially they hold up because they're just classic comedy and the rest of it seems very out of date what what's the cringe factor like it's not so much cringy it's more just kind of like you sort of just staring with a vague smile on your face sort of thing like oh yeah but you'd happily switch it off and go and watch something else yeah and right but then I'm thinking, I can't remember a comedy film for the last four or five years that's really impressed me. I know this is an, a, a real problem, though, Phil. There's some kind of sickness in cinema and creativity in general where comedy films are really not doing well. I, I remember laughing so hard in the cinema at films, and I, I don't know whether it's just gone out of fashion, finding things that funny. And I wonder if maybe it's the improv thing slipping into cinema and as an easier way of doing comedy films. And actually not having the hard work of just writing really solid jokes and funny set pieces and funny ideas. It just doesn't seem to happen anymore. Comedy films seem to more be yell very loudly something random. We could talk in a very old manny way about YouTube and how that presumably has had a massive impact on this. Because the stuff that the teenagers feel are laughing at, that's more like Vine videos, isn't it? I know it Vine's is, gone. but Vine like, is gone. It's out of date. But, it, but those were like seven second stupid gags. They're often just very loud or very slapstick. And maybe... The patience for that kind of sitcom-y, more scripted comedy is just gone, actually. Makes me a little bit sad. Well, you know, the Big Bang Theory is still doing well. <laughs> is that a reason to be positive? I don't think I don't so. Know. Uh, yeah. I think probably for me the grade isn't that high, but at the same time there's a bit of nostalgia there, so it's worth checking out. I think probably I'd give it a B-. minus. Well, there we go. I mean, it is the third one as well. I, th- I always thought Goldmember was my favourite, and I remember quoting lots of things, you know... I'm from Holland, isn't that weird? All that sort of stuff. <laughs> well, I'll have to I'll, 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 I'll watch it myself, man, and see whether I'm cringing inside too. Listeners, let us know your thoughts on both those films, Shooter and Austin Powers Goldmember. Was that the name of the film? Yep, yep, okay, yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Superbellybros at gmail.com, at Superbellybros on Twitter. Have you had any of those weird moments where you watch an old film and it just doesn't sit right with you anymore? Or have you seen any uh, disappointingly average films like Shooter? We want to know. <laughs> nice laugh. <laughs> Movie news! Colin Trevorrow has been announced to be removed from the future Star Wars film, The Conclusion of the New Trilogy. Apparently Disney say there's creative differences and they thank him for his efforts, but goodbye, Colin. Mm, Yes, now I want to read out a tweet that we received on this as well. We were going to do it anyway, but just to, you know, feed back the fact that our listeners are deeply concerned as well. Nicholas got in touch and said, at Super Baby Bros, hashtag movie news with recent Colin Trevorrow news. Is it just me or am I starting to feel hashtag Star Wars fatigue? Teague, help me out, please. I don't think it's just you. I'm starting to almost hate the fact that they can't just sort of produce the movie in isolation. Yeah. And it just comes out and everyone's super excited. There's so much attention from fans and from media and because... And and I think we're maybe contributing to this ourselves by talking about it right now. I suppose so. But it's sort of... Star Wars is such a monstrosity that you have to talk about it when things happen. And... I think maybe it comes down to the deep investment people have in this franchise, in this story, that every little bit that signifies something worrying 
has to be talked about and has to be addressed. Well, it's interesting that I, I agree with you completely, Nicholas, on the fatigue. I think you already know, uh, if you've been listening to us for a while, that neither Phil or I really are big fans of hype. So, yeah, I would be even more fatigued if I paid attention to any of it. But my general piece of advice is steer clear. Otherwise, it'll just get annoying. And you'll it's not, it's not edifying. It's not enjoyable to read this stuff anymore because it's too full up with the kind of internet world of gossip. But at the same time, aren't you uh, absolutely super keen to see the new Star Wars trailer if it comes yeah. out? Yeah, well, well not, I'm not that bothered because I don't think the recent ones have been that good, really. Uh, I think what I would uh, add into this is that it's very, very easy to take the line, the sort of classic line at the moment, which is saying that, oh, you know, Disney are ruining it. Star Wars is in free fall. There have been all these directorial changes. Everything's going wrong. There's, But there really, there are different perspectives for this because I would, I would have been someone who said... My worry with Disney wasn't so much that they would be doing this as that they would be just ramming product out nonstop and they would be doing it much more thoughtlessly and with a way more obvious commercial slant. So they would have just doing everything they could to get toys out, to get DVDs on shelves. You know, just think back to The Lion King 3 or whatever it was, right? They went straight to video. Like, what are they doing? Like, that's kind of what I associate Disney with. So you could take it as a positive thing that the opposite of that is happening, which is that they're not willing to let their products get released unless they are exactly right which may suggest that they actually really deeply care about doing this justice. Perhaps Star Wars Force Awakens and Rogue One don't <laughs> uh, indicate that. But do you know what I mean? There are different ways of looking at this. It's, it will depend on this next film, the uh, Ryan Johnson one, whether or not it's any good. I'm slightly nervous. The thing which has made me super nervous is finding out that Mark Hamill wasn't super keen on the direction they've gone with Luke Skywalker. I know. I can't believe they let him say that, unless that's all pre-planned marketing, Phil. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the trailer told you that already. The only trailer where it says time for the Jedi to end. I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah, the but if he turns out to be like a villain or something, oh, we can't. We're just we're just a bit we're a bit we're a bit silly sometimes. Listeners, I think as an audience, we need some kind of ridiculous over the top ultimatum to start hyping about. So when Luke Skywalker says it's time for the Jedi to end, it's like what? What did he just say? <laughs> like, oh no! Do you know what I'm saying? But who needs that really? If you're a film fan, you don't need that. I'd rather have a good story and some kind of over-the-top statement like that. But I think that's what they figure is going to drive up the sales, right? And I think it's working because we're all talking about it. Just on Colin Trevorrow, one other good thing about it is I never thought he was a good man for the job anyway. Mm. Jurassic World was fine. It's like this massive absolutely massive success and listen if you've never looked at the box office returns for that you should because it defies logic the amount of money that film made worldwide when it's so basically average yeah it, it is quite an average blockbuster and I, I wouldn't put its success to Trevorrow really I, I think I put it to Steven Spielberg <laughs> like, making a good film the amazing films that he and made and dinosaurs <laughs> yeah at the cultural yeah dinosaurs great dinosaurs, from the dino team <laughs> it's always 100% they managed to keep feathers out mostly which has been good for them yeah, yeah. but that's, that's funny watching them deal, try and like I know because they know it would sell as well. What? Like some bird dinosaur? What are you talking about? Uh, And I don't think Looks like a dodo. I I think it does speak to this weird... And this is something I think affects society as a whole a lot more listeners, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. But there's a strange thing that happens uh, in big money products and, you know, uh, ventures where the top level executives absorb all the credit for it. So it's interesting that Jurassic World did really well and everyone assumes... Oh, that's because the director was great and the producers who worked on it, they were great. And the team who worked on it, they were brilliant. And you'll have whoever the top dog is who was involved in that product, the success will be attributed to them. 
and they'll get this weird kind of gold aura around them where people with a lot of money at their disposal think that guy made a success get him on this project and that'll be a success and it's just wrong because why should the success be attributed to the person at the very top of that tree I don't think that's always right. Am I making sense? But then, like, Steven Spielberg is, like, a legendary filmmaker. He's a slightly different guy, and he has a lot of thumbprints on everything that he does. Trevor Rose Jurassic World was so generic. Where where were his fingerprints? I didn't Mm. see any, did you? No. Well, this is exactly what I mean. Anyway, I said I'm not going to go too far into it, but I think there's a weird obsession we have with the boardroom at the minute, and money as well, and I think it just gets in the way of films. Anyway, look, this is going too broad. We have or you have? I have who has, we has, I don't know, (laughs) Phil. We're getting way off topic here. Uh, In general, are you worried about Star Wars Episode Nine or not? And the whole trilogy. Uh, yeah, yeah, I am. I don't know what what they are going to do. I'm slightly worried that fandom will dictate the story and or fan Disney's pleasing of it, perhaps. and so therefore they'll go with what's marketing well uh, rather than just telling a good story. And I'm slightly worried that with the changes that they're making, is it because they want to tell the best story they can, or is it because they want to kind of make a very neutral product at the end of it? I don't know. And I kind of wish I was in Disney just so I could heal the It chat. would be interesting, wouldn't it? I think one thing this is doing, helpfully, is dispelling the myth that just because Star Wars is a huge name, making anything with its brand is easy. I think that's actually been proven wrong because they're having problems getting it right. That is true. You can't just slap Star Wars on something and but make everyone it. Everyone has been saying it. You yourself have said it. It's just a Star Wars film. People will go see it anyway. I see that coming up again and again. People just think, oh, it's fine. But actually partly because star wars is so identifiable and classic that is exactly why if you get it wrong you're in real trouble yeah there you go movie news if you've got any thoughts on star wars or disney or executives or money general <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or uh, anything that we've raised in this episode please do email in superbabybros at gmail.com or tweet us at superbabybros thanks phil more what we've been watching films coming up right shall i kick this one off this little se- subsection yes do it phil what we got circle hello choosing who dies why would they do this what is wrong with you people if this is about i say they go first one of them has to die i'm just trying to get this to stop you kill a kid to save your own life it won't work based out of everything no i won't do it i will not do it what do you think happens when we get down to the last person left. 
Oh man, I'm glad that trailer evolved in the way it did because I'll be honest, at the beginning I really thought this is an amateur dramatic production and that floor looks a lot like backgammon. So it transformed quite a lot towards the end. It's a surprisingly solid concept for a movie and it's one of those sort of movie concepts which you think, oh yeah, of course, like that's that's intriguing. You want to see what happens, don't you? Uh, will anyone survive? What is the reason behind all of this? It's a high concept sci-fi film. You won't know who directed it. You won't know any of the people in it. But do look up on IMDb if you want to find out. We want to give credit to those who've made yeah, the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So this is from 2015. You probably figured it out from the trailers, but if you didn't, 40 people stood in a circle. They're each on the little discs. And if they move out of this disc, they will die. If they do anything to each other, they will die. And what you find out very quickly in the movie is that right in the middle is this sort of glowing red orb that will shoot a bolt of lightning at somebody and will kill them every two minutes. Oh my goodness, two minutes, that's not long. Yes. And how many people, 40? I'll come on to that in a little bit. So it's an 80-minute film. Yeah, the film is very short. It's a very intense, punchy sort of film. They don't worry about who dies or who doesn't. It moves along ridiculously fast. And amongst that chaos is the attempt to sort of start telling a story of this ridiculous situation, but how would you deal with it? What would you do? That's the classic sort of movie it is. What would you do in this circumstance? And and I'm assuming it has no framing whatsoever. It just puts you straight in there, so it doesn't faff around with this is how they got there or this is how this situation is realistic. It doesn't even need to bother. No, it just literally is in a room. And when you find out the director was kind of trying to make a modern version of 12 Angry Men, right, yep. it starts to make a little bit of sense. Listeners, if you haven't seen 12 Angry Men, check it out. That's said a, this a few great times. classic movie. Or it takes place almost entirely in one room. It's just about characters, just about good dialogue and really well shot. It's a great film. And in fact, they made it into a play, which is also very good, apparently. Oh, well, there we are. This film is taking inspiration from that. And this concept is designed so that then the filmmaker can address societal issues. Because as the film goes on, they realise that they need to vote for who goes first or who goes next in the order. Well, and to then die, you mean? To die, basically. Yeah, right, yeah. And it's a secret ballot. They kind of move their hands and close their fists and that casts their vote. And very quickly, you start realising that this film is trying to gauge how would you choose who dies in a room full of people is age a factor is your background a a factor is your race your religion your sexuality a factor and the intensity of the scenario means that i think is designed so the filmmaker can justify people going beyond what they would want to do and instead do what they believe i'm gonna be honest man right now i'm feeling like that's great i'm hooked in and it's just really surprising i can't see any weaknesses in it yet maybe you've got a few but I mean, for <laughs> I remember going to a zoo once and uh, in one of the enclosures were a load of people uh, reclining and pretending to be animals. And it was like, the people are in the zoo. <laughs> Deal with that. That kind of thing sucks. This kind of thing seems to have got it right. Well, sort of. But then you realise that this two minute thing is really an albatross round it's the film's neck that's oh, you a think phrase, so? isn't it? the two minute thing yeah i wanted the film to just slow down a little bit just when a character started saying something interesting they would they would killed off it was really annoying is that the, the point or it's sort of the point in the sense that it's pushing you and driving you and giving you a sense of urgency and un- uncomfortableness in the sense that you have to make a decision and somebody's going to go and that plays out in initially in the film very uncomfortably because the decision is made by one of the people that they should get rid of the oldest people first because they're the, they're going to die the soonest. Oh man! And so that will give them time to then make try and work out what to do and how to approach the situation. And that's the decision they make. It's the uh, bit of an irony there. It's taking off the fast moving world of politics. When you say, 
don't know what that means. But I think it's really to the film's detriment because because it's moving so relentlessly towards the conclusion, towards this two-minute deadline each time, the film never gets a chance to really discuss the ideas that it starts to raise. You've got these frantic moments where they're trying to defend their lifestyle, their choices, who they are as people. You've got a, a moment where a black man says, you're killing off all the black people, like you're racist, you're all racist. And then a cop p- pipes up and says, what are you talking about, man? I know you, you used to be a criminal. Like It brings up all these things, but there's not actually enough time to deal with it because of the nature of the game and the scenario. And so it becomes a little bit frustrating. I began to sort of work out where the film was heading towards. Right, yeah. It does have an unexpected ending, I would say. And in some ways, the more you find out about the actual scenario that they're in, the less interesting it is. As oh, with all so these is that things. what the reveals are? It's more about the actual context, because that is less interesting. At the very end, it does reveal exactly what's going on. And that's, that's not quite so satisfying, is it? No, and actually yeah. realise that that's not what's interesting in the film. What's interesting is the what would you do Well, factor. that's my whole point about it not being a frame. It's more interesting if they're just there and you take it as red. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so I think at the end you're left a little bit like, oh, I wish I, I wish I didn't know that. And instead you just have this idea of what was going on. Having read the film, there's a little subtle clue at the very end uh, which leads on to more interesting thoughts in your head if you follow it through. Okay. The film doesn't communicate it. I'm trying to not give it away, but it's akin to other films that I've seen, like Exam or um, Cell, I think it is. Um, I can't not remember familiar, exactly what it is. But these these intense scenarios where you don't really know what's going to go on and it's a bit like a puzzle, how are you going to solve it? This film isn't really about the scenario, how are you going to escape the scenario, but how would you play the scenario? And that aspect and being put in that situation is intriguing one. You kind of can't help it. And I just wish they'd given a bit more time to each of the characters yeah, that sure. they start to introduce so that you get to know them, so that you care about them when they die. I can't help but wonder whether that was a directorial choice. Uh, and it is supposed to be some kind of allegory or metaphor about the fact that there isn't time really to do this. And if we did give time, then everything would be different. And I mean, there are loads of illusions you can paint already, but that's, I guess that's kind of what's good about it. I just wish it would be more like five minutes. They had yeah, 30, uh, 15 people or something like that and just... just did it that way so tell me about the performances because you've already been clear that this is uh people you just wouldn't have heard of i mean they're stereotypical characters and so the performances aren't really requiring that much they're convincing and straightforward as long as all i mean is as long as it doesn't put you off because you're thinking oh this is like like i said amateur dramatics kind of thing it's not a high budget film and it's not the same quality as a hollywood movie fine but because it's so short and because the concept's so clear and so pure for lots of it you kind of just it just drags you along and you're, you're willing to go with it i kind of want to recommend it if you're at all intrigued by the premise because it's such a, a, a low level investment at a, a short runtime that you can kind of just switch it off if you're not that interested and look it up on wikipedia so yeah check it out i would say i quite enjoyed it i'd give it a b so just, just a quick word because i can see on wikipedia which i've just pulled up thanks for that note phil directed by aaron han and mario missioni and also written by them so it's obviously a solo indie effort uh, is there anything remarkable about the writing or direction or is it mainly the concept? It's mainly the concept and just sort of putting yourself in that position. I think the film uh, is wisely, like you say, reduced to just the scenario for the most part. And it, it's the sort of thing where you wish somebody else could take it on and maybe do it, give it a bit With of a bit polish more. and a bit more oomph. So you're not necessarily hoping for big things from these guys? No, but I think fair play. They made a good, solid movie with a good concept and they've tried to deliver on that. Good one, man. Yeah, I am intrigued by it. I'm going to look it up at the very least on Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) So pathetic. Uh, Okay, so shall I then do uh, Airheads? 
Can't have more sci-fi. I would do Robocop, but I think we need... Save it for the end. Let's have a big finale. 90s finish. Nice. Okay. Airheads. I can't take that tape from you. If it's unsolicited, I can't touch it. It's not easy to break into the music business, but these three guys... What's your secret code? I can't tell you my code. Just found a way. You guys are an unsigned band, and you broke into the radio station to get your demo played on the air? I just feel a little goofy with a water pistol. They don't know it's a water pistol. They think it's real. Oops. Look, all I want to do is be heard, and then we're out of here. Okay, who are you guys? My name's Pip. The band. The band name. Sorry about that. Oh, man, look at this. The demo's wasted. Well, what are we going to do now? Run! Hello, police. I'm surrounded. I don't want to go to jail. I'm fragile. Everybody on the floor right now. Uh, do, do you mind if I sit in a chair? I, I don't want to get all crowded. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, if she doesn't sit on the floor, I don't know why I have to. Sit down! Everybody else gets to sit in a chair except for you. Is everybody okay in there? He wants to know what your demands are for releasing the hostages. What's he mean by hostages? It's the inbreed. We asked for a whole bunch of weird stuff. This way we can plead insanity later. Ooh. Number 13. Naked pictures of B. Arthur. Excuse me? I think you're exceeding your maximum weight limit for that belt. Jeopardy, <laughs> <laughs> no! having a good time tonight! What are you thinking about? Swimming pools. He doesn't wear a helmet, does he? <laughs> you guys are crazy, man. Y'all are all It's a plastic gun! A plastic gun! <laughs> now what are you going to do about that? Junk style. <laughs> Improvised. The Lone Rangers? What's wrong with that? Well, there's three of you. You're not exactly lone. No idea what you're saying right now. Airheads. I cut a deal with them. We got to send one person out. I'll go. One of the hostages, doof. Sorry. The music made them do it. Right, well, Phil, I've got exactly two excuses for having watched this film. Number one was that um, months ago, I became kind of intrigued in Brendan Fraser because I thought, where is he now? And also, he's a weird kind of movie star. Join the internet, man. Everyone's talking about Brendan Fraser. Are they really? Yeah. I was just really fascinated. I was like, how has this slightly weird bloke ended up with a career that he's had? He's had a really like, odd career. He's been right at the top and right at the bottom. Absolutely. He's really gone up and down in the, the rankings. He was like the big A-list uh, Hollywood star, wasn't he, in George of the Jungle days? And yeah, so as one of his really early films, I was quite intrigued to see it. So he stars as Chaz, who is a layabout hopeful rocker. In, and this is set in 1994, by the way. And his girlfriend is kind of annoyed with him because he's a bit of a loser. He doesn't have a job. He is harassing record executives by sneaking into the building saying, come on, listen to our demo, listen to our demo. But they just won't give him a shot. But in his heart, Phil beats the soul of a rock and rocker. Rock and rocker? <laughs> that whole rock sentence was terrible. In his heart beats a soul. What? A soul is not in your heart, is it? Maybe it is. <laughs> anyway, you get the point. And he's a real rock guy and he can't handle the corporate nature of stuff. So he really hates the way that uh, these guys in suits who don't know anything about rock and roll are controlling the whole industry and they're not giving him a shot. And if only they would just play their album, they would pick up some fans because that's how it works. And as they get increasingly desperate, his girlfriend kicks him out and he goes to live with his two layabout bandmates who happen to be Adam Sandler and Steve Buscemi, the weirdest <laughs> roles ever for those guys. If you, I mean, just think if you were casting like, this film about like slightly loser rockers, I just don't see how you come up with those two. That's never going to be the three on to, the list. Yeah, no, 
totally about like the nineties. Like what a weird time to be making films. A good time in a, in a sort of a yeah. way. Uh, but yeah, and then they quickly come up with this idea because they're slightly hopeless of breaking into uh, a station, a radio station where often hits are made and bands get their first airplay uh, and basically hold the station hostage with fake uh, but realistic looking Uzi water pistols to force them to play their demo tape on the air. What's the film that instantly makes you think of, Phil? Alan Partridge. Alpha Papa, right? Yeah, it's all about holding up a radio station so that people are forced to listen to slightly weird radio and you've got this natural stage that's quite cheap, one location, and people just turning up and clamouring for more. So it's a nicely sort of planned film. And it is interesting that Alpha Papa's so late and everyone thought that was a new idea, but it's just not at all. There you go. The things with this film, listeners, is that it's a good timepiece for the 90s because there's such a slacker vibe here that just would not fly today. The only slackers that kind of exist in popular fiction are the people in New Girl, but they're not really slackers because you don't really see them slacking other than sitting on a sofa, right? No, I guess maybe you've got the Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen, Stoner stuff. But yeah, that's but not that's really... slightly different, isn't it? Again, yeah, these guys. They, I mean, Adam Sandler is wearing like this weird cut-off shirt kind of thing, and they and their their apartment is just a, a disgrace. Like it's horrible even to look at, let alone imagine living in. And there's this weird grungy aesthetic that is just emerging out of the '80s. And in many ways, this film sort of would be better in the '80s, except that it is charting the decline of rock and roll. There's a couple of lines in it where they say, "Oh, there's not been anything good since the Beatles," or and the station head, who is weirdly played by Michael McKean, who is one of the rockers from Spinal Tap. Uh, he's like the corporate guy, and he's getting into easy listening. He's going to transition the station out of rock and roll. You know, you've got you get yeah. a picture. But other than that, I don't think there's much value to it. It's it's really dated. We were talking about this with Lost in Powers. The jokes are kind of dated. They're sort of obvious. And it's almost a bit embarrassing. They're almost like they should really be doing this kind of thing on cruise ships. <laughs> like, that's the kind of venue for this like oddly stereotypical humor and just like swear words and laughing at losers and stuff. Do you know what I mean? It just doesn't really fit anymore in today's world. And the really hackneyed moments where Brendan Fraser gets his five seconds of fame on the air and he says something quite heartfelt because, you know, he's a true rocker and he just wants to be heard, man. I just want to be heard. Mm. It's sort of like that is not a kind of joke anymore at all. Yeah, it's a bit and weird. It, and it wouldn't be done like that anymore. And the stuff that he says is so not moving. He just comes across as an idiot, but you're clearly supposed to have some sympathy for him. And the film obviously has a lot of sympathy for the plight of these guys. And, you know, you can picture which way it goes, basically. You can picture the way the public responds to it. You can picture the way that the police get involved. It's kind of predictable. And you're probably not going to enjoy it, listeners. It's really a film of its time. But it is interesting to see Brendan Fraser kind of as a heartthrob. And especially Adam Sandler, before he really became Adam Sandler. You you, you didn't bet you didn't think he could be just an ensemble player. Is he good in it? He can't. No, (laughs) not really. He's inoffensive in it. He's very not Adam Sandler in it. What about Steve Buscemi? He's just classic. He just is Steve Buscemi. It just doesn't make any sense that he's there. He's wearing like a punk rocker's hairdo. With his Steve Buscemi face. (laughs) Yeah, and kind of being an idiot. It's Steve Buscemi style. Another thing that really dates him, sorry, this is the last moment, is that the actor who played Kramer out of um, Seinfeld is in it. And he was, at one point, a very big proposition for physical comedy. He plays a guy who's caught in the ducts and liaises with the police a little bit. He's Alan Partridge. Well, kind of. But, like, it's weird to see him in a film because, you know, he had a horrible... Yeah, he's had yeah, major problems now. but Serious problems. And he just he's, you're not going to see him ever again, I don't think, in, in the media. So it's odd to see him appearing as well as what would have then been a very recognisable face. Uh, so anyway, look, I'm taking a while to say it, but it was, it was very, very average and very, very out of date. 
So yeah, unless you, like me, were kind of intrigued to see how Brendan Fraser ended up where he was and now isn't, <laughs> then probably one to avoid. C plus from me. Okay, Phil, just a quick one for you to chew on. Ready? Mm-hmm. I was just listening recently. You know Jordan Vogt Roberts or Vote Roberts who directed Kong Skull Island? Yes. Do you know why he's been in the news recently? He, I saw this on Honest Trailers on Screen Junkies on YouTube mm. and uh, he suddenly appeared for the Honest Trailers guys in that Honest Trailer and he basically gave his own criticism of Kong Skull Island yeah. and all the things that he thought were wrong with that film. And uh, apparently in that video, some other stuff was going on with him and they, the Screen Junkies guys were like, oh, this is a bit fortuitous. We recorded this ages ago and now it's all blown up. Yeah, well, that's right. And it's because he did a whole Twitter thing, a really attacking cinema sins. Are you familiar with them? That's another YouTube channel. Yeah, I'm not a fan of them. No, I've never really liked them either, I have to say. But And they do the kind of everything that's wrong with this in however many minutes. And they pick up literally the most minute of problems they can very, very quickly. And so you might have 100 problems with Kong Skull Island, for example. And uh, Jordan or Jonathan Vogt Roberts uh, was picking these up and saying, you've got this wrong. This is actually a wrong criticism or you totally misunderstood the context or blah, 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 blah. And he spent a long time basically saying this kind of thing I really hate because it encourages pedantry and distancing yourself from a film. And he was particularly laying into the people who write it saying it makes them feel powerful because they get to sneer at this stuff um, and how wrong it is and how badly made it is and how poorly observed it is. And he just hates that because, you know, directors, they work within restraints, but they also work incredibly hard, as does everyone in the film. So they really deserve to have their work literally pulled apart into minute pieces. Nitpicking is yeah, what he's having exactly. to go and I thought that was just an interesting thing to, to listen to. That may be a slightly separate issue, but it is a good representation of the constant battle between the creators of art and the critics of art. Yeah, so listen, this is really to throw it out to you as a little breather before we get back into more reviews. But I wonder what your thoughts are on film critics as well. Do you feel that you side sometimes with a director or the actor and think, oh, it's just not fair? And, you know, especially these days with things like Rotten Tomatoes, which do play quite a big part in people's decision making process about films they're going to see. You know, it affects guys on the movie making business quite quickly because of box office numbers and studio executives who greenlight or don't greenlight products will look first at the box office before anything else, before any sort of appraisal of whether the film was good or not. Mm. And so you can see where they're coming from because it actually has a financial impact on them and their jobs are at stake and their reputations, blah, 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 blah. Or do you side more with critics and say, well, look, you can't just release a piece of something. On, yeah, a film and expect everyone to say how great it is or to hold off having an opinion about it until everyone's had a chance to go and see it. Because actually we're not made of money and everyone does have a right to choose what they go and see. And more than that, part of the fun of art, full stop, whether it's books or paintings or whatever, is having opinions on it and pulling it apart, perceiving things, blah, blah you know, all that sort of stuff. For my money, I'm kind of down the middle, I think. It is sometimes it is a bit annoying when people pull things apart so much so and they don't they have no goodwill towards a film whatsoever. They choose to be almost obtuse to something. And that's I think actually cinema sins not to throw fire at other people's creative content or whatever. Sure, yeah. But I think that is actually why I've, I stopped watching. I watched it for a little bit and then I turned off because I suddenly thought, well, obviously the filmmaker's not wanting to sort of choose the wrong uh, trouser colour again or something. Yeah, exactly. Like there's a whole job which is continuity and all that sort of stuff on set and people try their best to do that and going through frame by frame and spotting all the mistakes isn't really going with the film. That's kind of why I have a problem with plot holes that people point out when they're not actually plot holes, they're just sort of 
poorly thought out things. Right. And one which always stuck in my mind is when people criticised The Dark Knight Rises and they said, how did Bruce Wayne get from that pit to Gotham City? And it's kind of like, well, he's Batman. It doesn't really matter. I always thought, just go with the film. It's saying it, it, you can make up a million reasons why that could be possible. Just go with the film. That's not po- That's not what the film is concerned with. And yet some people would say that's bad filmmaking because you haven't explained how he managed to get from that place over there to this place over here. And I think that's not really in the jest of what I think criticism should be about. It's engaging with the idea of it. And And the experience, maybe. Yeah, and I think there is a place to criticise the technical filmmaking or something. But really, I think you want to give films as much goodwill as you can. But just to sort of throw it into the mix, then you might say, for example, that therefore that's a completely different thing and that Cinema Sins isn't really criticising the film so much as doing something different. Breaking down the technical aspects. Yeah, it's something fun. You can love the film, but also think, oh, there's a few bloopers there. Like with Star Wars, right? The Stormtrooper who clonks his head into the door. Brilliant moment. Yeah, it's nice to notice that, but I don't think it's a it doesn't sin. affect how you feel about the film, does no, it? No, I, I wouldn't say it's a bad part of the film. It's just a, a funny aspect of the film. Yeah. Well, listeners, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are, because it is something that happens time and time again. Often directors feel a sore spot. I mean, famously, the guy who directed uh, Gods of Egypt, I can't remember his name anymore, a uh, very famous director, was absolutely furious at the negative criticism that it got and accused critics of not knowing anything and all this sort of stuff. Personally, I would fall down the line of that they're just different things. I would love to make films. If anyone wants to give me loads of money to make what, to make a film, I'd so happy do it and then i'd receive the criticism whatever and then probably feel quite hurt and say yeah possibly i would but they're just different things aren't they so i'm not sure that a a filmmaker has that much right to criticize a critic because the film uh, the critic is not necessarily criticizing the person of the director so much as they're criticizing what has happened and someone has got to put their name to it yeah but that's the thing isn't it it's so personal well there we go listeners let us know your thoughts okay final block of what we've been watching shall i kick us off with true romance yeah from the director of Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop 2. Hello, baby! Clarence? I'm a married man, buddy. <laughs> a con man. Ask him if you got the letter. Did you get the letter? What letter? He wants to talk to you. No, God, tell him we gotta go. A call girl. You call for a day? Huh? Ah! I'm out of She a four-alarm fire or what? She seems very nice. What are you doing in L.A. anyway, huh? And a suitcase full of trouble. My name is Vincent Cocotti. I work as consul for Mr. Blue Lou Boyle, the man your son stole from. Now, all that stands between them and their wildest dreams. Find out who this winging a prayer artist is and take him off at the neck. Are 60 cops. 40 agents. He's a wild man, this kid Clarence. I like him. 30 mobsters. I haven't killed anybody since 1984. And a few thousand bullets. We're all gonna die here. These are cops. Put it down. Put it down. Put it down. Christian Slater. Patricia Arquette. Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken. Slow it down, man. In a Tony Scott film. I think what you did, what you did was so romantic. Not since Barney and Clyde have two people been so good at being bad. 
true romance. It's, it's such a weird, like, almost oxymoron, man. The 90s produced films like Airheads, which make no, it's just kind of so average and bland, right? But then they, like, Quentin Tarantino, those were his golden years. Like, what is it? What is the deal with that? Like, there are not many films made like his sort of classics, are there? Like Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs. Where are those films now? Yeah, that's a good point. There doesn't mediocrity and then really big highs. But then everyone's trying to ape Quentin Tarantino. And the reason why he's so distinctive is because... He was almost like an, a genre in and of himself, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, right. So this is... The reason why I watch this film, listeners, is because of Quentin Tarantino. I was intrigued to find out what would he be like if he wasn't the director, he was just the writer. Would it and, feel like a Tarantino film? Yeah, and here we have True Romance. Christian Slater is this nerdy, comic book-loving, pop culture-referencing guy. Is he? doesn't appear that way in the trailer. Who uh, is on his birthday, goes to a movie theatre, and then a lovely blonde lady, played by Patricia Arquette, Alabama is her name. <laughs> wow comes over and decides to sit next to him and spill her popcorn over him. And then they go and have the most wonderful night ever, chatting and talking, and they make love and all that sort of stuff. Of course, yeah. And then immediately afterwards, she's very upset because she has to confess to Christian Slater, Clarence in the film, that she actually was paid to go and meet him that night and give him a good time. Uh, she is actually a lady of the night, and oh she's got some dodgy dealings with some drug people and pimps and horrible people like that. But she actually is in love with him and thinks he's wonderful. And once she's with somebody, she's not going to be with anyone else. How they have a true romance. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll let it. I'll let it slide. All right. Can I, don't, you, I don't like that. But can okay. you guess what the one red flag is that I had in that opening bit? Well, the idea that she really fell for him, or is that it? Yeah, and also what the guy was like. Yeah. Does it not ring massively of a certain film director's? previous history yeah yeah i mean i feel you don't need to tell this is, it's actually ringing bells with me with what i said i didn't like about shooter and that character over there there's a, a slightly worry anyway let's not do this no no, no so in this film it's not like that she's okay. not damaged goods no, no, and but he's it's not, not even fixing. that but no, but she is a lady of the night isn't she and here she is about to be redeemed by someone bugs me somehow I st- again i haven't quite crystallized my thoughts but anyway let's not do that here i more had an image uh, an irritation with the idea that basically quentin tarantino's written himself he's this comic book loving uh film guy who knows all the things about elvis and different things like that but and looks like christian slater but even then christian slater is quite well cast as this sort of kind of handsome but not handsome that okay, enough, a lot. Enough. Yeah, but anyway yeah, yeah. just the idea that some lady would fall for this geek basically off the bat it seems like a little bit of wish fulfillment. And then it turns out that Christian Slater is pretty cool and pretty fast-talking con man who can get into situations and get himself out of danger very quickly and easily. Just to give you a little bit more of a setup, Christian Slater then is sick of the idea that this his, his now wife, he gets married to her very right, quickly. Right, right. His wife has somebody who has power over her, who is played by Gary Oldman, in the most ridiculous role you've ever seen. He's basically playing this pimp sort of drug lord from the ghetto and he fully embraces that. In fact... He looks a bit like Johnny Depp in the trailer. Weirdly. Yeah, he's got dreadlocks and he's he was told by the director that he's basically playing a white guy who thinks he's black. Okay. And so Gary Oldman <laughs> convinced, convincingly portrays that aspect of Does his character. Did he do a good job? Yeah, he's, Gary, he's weird right. and Gary Oldman-y and sort of over the top. But anyway, Christian Slater says, I'm, I hate this guy. I'm going to get him. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to get rid of him. I can't handle the idea that he's got some power over my wife. And he goes and then deals with him. And that leads them to getting a massive suitcase of cocaine. And they go to Hollywood to try and get rid of this cocaine. 
and make some money and live their life together in the most romantic way possible. But of course, the mob has got tails and ties to that cocaine. And so the mob are chasing after him. The police are chasing after him. Yeah, exactly. So you've got a kind of convoluted way of getting into a scenario, which is quite Tintin Tarantino, I think. Lots of different people involved trying to get the same sort of object. It's kind of like Pulp Fiction, but not chopped up. Right, I got it. I sort of enjoyed the film. And sort of thought, this, is, this isn't that good. Oh, really? It's weird watching the film because there are those Quentin Tarantino sequences where there's long, drawn-out bits of dialogue, uh, slightly too much use of racial slurs that make you feel a bit uncomfortable, but also this zinging dialogue that's very rhythmical and rhyming. And there's just a, uh, there's just a really nice, enchanting way that he writes dialogue that wins you over and makes you interested in the most banal things possible. It is hard to do. A lot of people try to replicate it, as you say, but uh, not to much success. But I am kind of amazed how much this film feels like a Quentin Tarantino film rather than a Tony Scott film. This guy's a big film director. He did Top Gun and other films as well, Enemy of the State. He's long been a Hollywood sort of action superstar director. Uh, you you reviewed a yeah, couple of films. Positively, yeah. But it just so so much screams of Quentin Tarantino. There's one scene in particular in the movie which is Christopher Walken intimidating a, a guy that it may as well be directed by Quentin Tarantino. That's how I feel because it just so much screams his identity. Well, now, so do you say that that is because he's such a good writer there really is no other way to direct that scene or is it that, as you said already, Reservoir Dogs was out by this point and perhaps Tony Scott would be more willing to listen to his input? I don't know. I don't quite get how it all fits together. I don't know if uh, the the film was already made and then Reservoir Dogs came out and it's a big deal, a big hit, smash the surprise hit, or whether or not it was more like that, as you say, Quentin Tarantino had some influence on how things went down and Tony Scott was listening to him. Apparently, t- uh, Quentin Tarantino never was on set for the entirety of the shoot. Wow. And so I'm guessing, actually, it was made sort of at the same time as Reservoir Dogs and then they realised that that was a big hit and so they stuck his name. They made more of Quentin Tarantino's name yeah, in sure. the marketing, etc., etc. Unfortunately, the bad parts, I think, are slightly related to time again. It seems a little bit over the top, a little bit cliched in lots of ways. And maybe it just seems a bit cheesy because it's in the 90s, because it's in that world. And the 90s doesn't really exist anymore. The characters that you get in the 90s aren't really... Uh, around anymore so Not I can't really relate the to them way, the same way no. so you've got a kind of an out of work actor you've got Brad Pitt turning up as a stoner but he's the worst stoner I've ever seen <laughs> really? he's just rubbish <laughs> it's just Brad Pitt sitting down on a couch for a long time <laughs> like apparently he had this massive idea that he would never be off the couch in all of his scenes and it's just like you're just sitting down Brad come on work a little bit harder <laughs> He doesn't, like, he does nothing about him screams, like... Are you slightly predisposed to feel that way, though? But I really wanted to like him. I like the fact that it was Brad Pitt doing a sort of minor yeah, yeah, role. Yeah. And he just doesn't really Watch do anything. Watch 12 Monkeys, man. You've got to see that. I don't know. I just... I, you, I, trust me, like, 12 I Monkeys I feel is nervous different. about him. Like you were saying, <laughs> I feel nervous. Like, maybe he's just not a very good actor. It's... I think the film overall, though, is this sort of weirdly brash, uh, violent, sexy, flick, crime caper, which is over the top and bombastic christian slater is quite endearing as a lead and the romance that is the title of the film is actually quite sweet and nice but i think what quentin tarantino is going for basically is trying to do a genuinely sweet romance where they're completely in love yeah but they're surrounded by filth and disgustingness and violence and murder and drugs i can see and, that would appeal to him though that's yeah, yeah. 
If you have been a fan of Quentin Tarantino and you've seen his other films and didn't realise that he wrote a film but hasn't directed it, I definitely check it out because it's got so many of the hallmarks of Quentin Tarantino films. Um, it's got those long sequences with good dialogue, yeah, yeah, with yeah. sort of rambly, interesting chat. It's got the Mexican standoff, which you don't know how it's going to end. And it's kind of a classic action story, but with good dialogue. I'm up for it, man. I think you've convinced me. I mean, I'll lend you the DVD after this. But Well, thanks so much. <laughs> I think overall it's probably a B, not much higher than that. It was funny watching Christian Slater as a leading man. He's He's got bizarre eyebrows. Yeah, he's an interesting choice. You don't see that much of him. He's, he's the Will, of, Will Poulter of the day, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, and he, he's weird because he sits, in terms of what he does, his shtick and everything, I think he sits in between a lot of other actors who kind of did it more to the extremes than him. Uh, like even Val Kilmer is in this film and I slightly think he's one of those guys he's so Christian Slatery but a more handsome <laughs> version do you know what I mean I mean Val Kilmer's in the film but he's almost uncredited you sure. wouldn't know it's him you never see his face but okay. I know exactly what you mean Val Kilmer's that sort of it's that a sort better of version he's yeah. like Christian Slater 2.0 there's a few of those <laughs> 2.0s but for different like directions that you go in so there you go Christian right, well, Slater's the core core model and the then it's the iPhone man. SE the iPhone <laughs> yeah, exactly. 6 That's right. 7 plus more specialised models <laughs> Uh, thanks man yeah you've, you've piqued my interest good one should we go on to Robocop yeah let's do it Robocop we get the best of both worlds the fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer assisted memory and a lifetime of on the street law enforcement programming it is my great pleasure to present to you Robocop this guy is really good he's not a guy he's a machine Detroit has a cancer. Cancer is crime. Let the woman go. You are under arrest. You, you better back up, pal. Your move, creep. What are your prime directives? You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. Anything you say may be used against you. You idiot! You recorded every word you said. You're dead. We killed you. His memory is admissible as evidence. You're gonna have to kill it. Get out of the car, for God's sake! Robocop: The Future of Law Enforcement. Now, what do you know about Robocop, Phil? Uh, I know that it's very violent and it's Paul Verhoeven, Verhoeven or whatever. Yeah. And I remember people talking about when the remake was done, the the modern one, they didn't like the fact that uh, the way that the guy became Robocop wasn't in being shot at and kind of obliterated. It was a car bomb and they thought that they'd taken the tooth out of Robocop. And so the impression of this film, which I've never seen, is that it's super violent and it's kind of making a point with its violence. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. And the new one, the 2012 remake, I think it's 2012 anyway, uh, certainly does a lot of things very differently, might much more differently than you think. I think it's most fascinating to see thematically how it's changed. Because I don't know, Phil, whether you remember my review of L by Paul Verhoeven, which is a film I didn't like very much. But he is a properly subversive filmmaker and he he is just one of these guys who does satire and he, he really does it. So I spent the entire film thinking, 
I hope I'm smart enough <laughs> to pick up everything that's happening like here. Actually like, actually what's being said with this yeah. film and not just get sucked in by the action. Yeah, and I, or they'll think I'm dumb or something. And it, it's weird. That's kind of a blessing and a curse because it's there's a lot of it that's powerful and satire can be really powerful because it, it sort of mocks the viewer a little bit into some kind of self-realisation. That's how I generally characterise it anyway. So you recognise, oh, yeah... I guess we all do think that, but maybe it's wrong kind of thing. But it's weird. It means you give the film a lot of leeway. If you go in knowing it's a satire, then it means you're more willing to let it do whatever it does. Does that mm. make sense? And perhaps less critical than you should be. So I'm going to try not to do that. But in terms of the violence, for its day, it would have been very violent. Yeah, a lot of shooting uh, and a lot of quite graphic shots being fired. But again, by today's standards, man, not really. Does it have a lot of those, like, uh, I forget what they're called. Squibs. squibs going off. Yeah, a lot of, lot of squibs bursting and uh, the main guy who gets shot to pieces to become Robocop. That's quite a tough scene. All these thugs just shoot him mercilessly until he's completely gone uh, beyond all hope and everything else. Anyway, listen, yeah. So the, the basic plot of this is that it's a futuristic society in which corporations run everything, especially the police. And crime is on the rise because as uh, everyone becomes increasingly consumerist, Uh, sort of general living conditions deteriorate and uh, general standards of morality are going lower and lower and there's you know satirical parallels drawn all the time you've probably heard about it like i'd buy that for a dollar have you heard that no, I haven't. That's from Robocop. You know, I've seen it. That's a, that's a very famous phrase. The film is interspersed with uh, sort of fake news reports and commercials as well, advertising various products, including including like healthcare and insurance. And it is very, it's like super satirical, like way more than you even probably think it mm. is. It's funny. Like one of the very, one of the very first news reports, I think just sees the president uh, falling over basically and making a fool of himself at one point. And it, it's a film that tries to portray everything as kind of falling apart. Um, but yeah, so in the middle of this, these companies who produce the police force are also looking for more advanced ways to handle crime because in this world, a, co- a corporation's solution to controlling crime isn't necessarily political reform so much as it is Better ever product. more enforced Yeah, law enforcement. So it comes up with this weird, like, clunking Star Wars-esque chicken walker-like robot. <laughs> and again, what an odd scene. It comes into the boardroom. They're demoing the project. Dick Jones, their vice president who came up with it, said... Look, isn't this great? Uh, hey, here, you, come and volunteer and hold a gun at this thing and be threatening with it. And the machine immediately says, Citizen, you have 20 seconds to drop your gun. And the guy goes, Wow, that's amazing, and drops his gun. And then it says, Citizen, you have 15 seconds to drop your gun. And everyone starts freaking out because it goes wrong. And of course what happens is it then obliterates this guy in this board meeting. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they all kind of start, like, immediately Dick Jones gets on the phone and says, Oh, what a disaster. And it, it's, it is, it's just, it's so fast that stuff happens within scenes and things change within scenes that I think in today's filmmaking take a couple of scenes to spread out to be really, really clear. So you really have to keep up incredibly fast. And I think I have to say that that is something I really liked about it and something I really miss about modern filmmaking is that this is quite a short film. It doesn't even hit the two-hour mark. And especially the beginning with all the setup is so quick and so varied that you get an instant, slightly overwhelming impression of this wild future that you're supposed to be in. It paints a very quick, quick picture yeah, and says and you could, it trusts you to sort of piece it together. And it, it, it particularly, it sort of foregoes emotion almost completely. It's barely even, there's barely any emotional connection or empathy with anybody. You don't really know who this very clean-cut, sharp-cheekboned guy is who joins the police force. And that's Alex J. Murphy he comes in, he joins it, he's got a big smile, blue eyes, he's ready to, he's like the poster boy, basically, mm. perfect cop. 
stop. You don't really know anything about him other than that he's got a family. You don't have time to emotionally connect with him. His partner, his really like really like competent lady partner, and Lewis, they go on a mission together, and he immediately gets blown to pieces. Basically, before you even get a moment to think about the emotional problems that he might have with that, he just is Robocop. Like it's so fast, but I really want to make a case for it being much more compelling than a lot of modern techniques. And it's weird how you don't necessarily need to empathise the way you think you do. And this film wants you to empathise and understand the whole context, the broad spectrum of characters, than to particularly put your mind and feet in the so shoes of So it's not that much invested in the individual. It's invested in the world and the ideas of it and where this character is placed Yeah, in exactly. The world. It encourages you to take it as a whole, not as an individual or something like that. And I think that's quite impressive and it definitely speaks to the satirical edge of it. So then, the, then he becomes Robocop and he starts going around solving crimes and things. He uh, comes into conflict with Clarence Bodiger, who is the crime leader who orchestrated his shooting. He's a drug smuggler, all that sort of stuff. Maybe he's got links with corrupt politicians or high up police officials, blah, blah, blah. It's an investigation. I think I actually don't really need to tell you any more of the plot because, mm. as you say, you can figure it out. It features quite slow and tough action scenes. If you are an action fan right now, you're going to find the action very slow. But a surprisingly good and subtle performance from this guy, Peter Weller, playing Alex Murphy, who does like almost mime style robot movements uh, in the action scenes. So whereas the 2012 version, Robocop moves really fast and looks he's just super humanoid. He's cool. like a cyborg thing. Ninja. Well, he still looks like Robocop, but his whole thing is he moves quite quickly. He's very precise, but he's fast as well and strong and sleek. In this one, it's almost like a joke. This, this thing just marches in, absorbing hundreds of bullets without any problems <laughs> and it's almost like a joke and that's what i mean this is what i mean about the satire constantly tripping me up and thinking is there something there that i'm missing because the action scenes are almost like jokes there's no action there really yeah it's more a sort of you're being confronted with an idea all the time yeah i'm kind of losing myself talking about it phil but i think it's really worth a watch and it is definitely an example of a remake completely getting it wrong and wrecking, like wrecking the entirety of the original film just to sell it as a product uh, to a new audience. In many ways, it is living the nightmarish world the <laughs> corporations. of 1987 That's so funny. It's just, It's just particularly interesting what, 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 what it's done. What grade would you give it, man? Well, I can't recommend it wholly because it's definitely dated, but I, I think it's so quick and interesting and fast-talking and fast-paced that it's really worth a watch. So what I give it, probably a... B, yeah, probably a B in today's world. If I'd been reviewing it 10 years ago, I've got no doubts I would have been giving it an A because it is impressive. And also, if you're so sensitive to violence in particular, it is violent, but it, it, like this is one of those ones where I would really confidently say it is cartoon violence, genuinely. It's over the top sort of Not silliness. the Limehouse Girl and that was horrible. Trust yeah. me, and that's a 15. This is, yeah, this isn't going to give you nightmares, I don't think. Oh, I should say True Romance is an 18 as well. Okay. So just go in with that. There's a bit of sex, there's a bit of drugs, there's a bit of bad language, etc. There you go. So I think that's two films kind of to watch. We finished on the two strongest, did we? Hopefully, I think so. It's been a bit of a weird hodgepodge of different movies, isn't it? Well, that's just we're subservient to what we end up watching. And we should say, uh, we couldn't find The Legend of 1900. I went to justwatch.co.uk, not available anywhere. Sorry about that. I think that was Confucius who wanted to see mm. that one. Uh, and sorry, any, others who suggested films we just couldn't get to. But uh, hopefully, that was interesting. <laughs> hopefully. Send your thoughts to superbellybros at gmail.com, at superbellybros on Twitter. We are now going to do a few emails, and then we're out. Cool. E-M-A-I-L-S Emails Nicely done, Phil Hey, thanks very much for getting in touch, listeners First up, Phil Gavin got in touch 
Hello, Gavin. Dear Laurie and Phil, superstars, I am massively out of date with listening to the podcast. I had a baby which didn't help. Hey, I know that Congratulations. feeling. Yeah, what am I saying I know that feeling? I mean, well done. That's amazing. We're so glad. Uh, a couple of things he says. Plus one for Laurie because fellowship is the best Lord of the Rings film. Wrong. It you is are wrong. A beautiful, it's funny, it's full of excellent relationships, and I love saying, and my axe. Yeah, that's good moments. It's got good moments in the film. I just think it's the first one, so it's, it's just build. It doesn't, it doesn't conclude. So wrong, man. I'm totally with you, Gavin, as you well know. Yes. I think I just always think of myself stuck in the Shire being like, oh, I love on. that Shire bit. I think you've got a problem, man. You need to, you went, once you get married, <laughs> I, Mr. Engaged, then you'll understand the Shire. What an idyll. It's brilliant. <laughs> I lovely, don't know. I lovely just, beer in all the pub I can with think your of is Frodo laughing at Gandalf and then jumping into his arms and thinking. His laugh, his laugh in the pub is worse oh, when he oh, see, oh. when he sees Sam dancing. Oh, he looks like he's going mad. <laughs> it just great. feels so long. I like the beginning with the the prologue, but then oh, on, I don't on. know. I feel like it's good, a slog it? to get going. You're so wrong. Okay, Put it out, you fools. I did have a plus one for Phil too. He says, but I've forgotten it, so it'll have to wait. But that's, that's a plus coming. one. Yeah, it's coming. <laughs> no, no, come on. That counts. No, it must be attributed. He, he, well, we're saying we don't trust Gavin. No, we're going to wait. He says himself it'll have to wait. So there you are. A second matter and perhaps food for a separate discussion. A couple of nights ago, we watched E.T., both the first full film since our son was born and the first time I've watched it in at least 15 years. It was wonderful and the end predictably had me in tears, but not in the way I was expecting. You see, I'd have expected myself to resonate with Elliot, who's having to say goodbye to someone he loves, etc. But what actually happened is I viewed the last half an hour of the film almost entirely from the mum's perspective. I couldn't stop thinking about how hard it must be to watch your child go through all this difficult life stuff, how helpless you're likely to be to do anything and it genuinely upset me in fact i'm having a little sniffle about it right now i think this is hey, the parent factor hey hold on and he says this is obviously something to do with recently obtaining a child i think it is yeah but i was surprised at how differently i viewed the film compared to how i did when i was younger if i might ask have you experienced any similar perspective shifts where your view of a film has changed based on your life circumstances having well, altered wait Phil, <laughs> i've got something to say and am i doomed to a lifetime of parental anguish for on-screen children your friend gav Thanks, i think gav. that is 100% the case I can attest to it because Laurie has been compraising these films you just need to listen to the previous episodes when he liked that stupid Alien I'm a Martian whatever film Monster Tracks not Monster Tracks that was oh, another one <laughs> um, I was going to bring up Monster Tracks when I read this email I thought that uh, that's uh the, uh, what is it? The, I'm married to the, the moon or something. Us. What is it? Yeah, the space between us. <laughs> the space between us. What a terrible movie! No, I think that was entirely because you're a parent and you dealt with the emotional factors of that movie. Actually, that was much less to do with parenthood. I don't know. I think no, it's, I promise. I don't it, think Phil. you can see the trees no, before the you. The space between us. I think you should watch it because I think you'd be surprised at the quality, the latent quality that's there, especially in design. Regardless, monster trucks. Was entirely, I think, because yes, of was. the dad thing. There's a moment where the lead guide trip had me. It had me in tears in the cinema. Listeners, it's such a ridiculous film loser, for it. loser. But he just said, like, man, the pain in his character was so much more real to me because I'm a dad. Yeah, you're right, Gav. And I'm sorry to say, I think that will just happen to you every time. It's it is quite astonishing how it just it makes your heart ache in a new way. Like, I think that's why I like the Hirokazu Koreda film so much, Phil, because the last one I saw of his was all about a deadbeat dad who really loved his kids and his ex-wife, but he just couldn't rise above his own sort of failings uh, to sacrifice himself properly to look after them and stuff. You know what I mean? And Resonated Yeah, it's pow- powerful and painful. So, Gav, I'm afraid that's right, but thank you for being honest about it. And how interesting to have a film that you love for one reason and now love for a different reason. It'd be really interesting, uh, those parents out there who listen to the show, if you have that same sort of feeling of watching a film 
and thinking, oh, I love this film, and then watching it again as a parent and thinking, this is a completely different film for me now because of your shift in perspective. We'd love to hear from you, so do email in. Gav himself broadens it out and says, your life circumstances, has anything that's happened to you in your life changed your views on a film? And I'm sure that, I mean, that's a huge category. I mean, there there is a film like Crazy, which is Anton Yelchin and Felicity Jones, which is all about a transatlantic uh, relationship, which I had listeners in my past, no longer. She did, yeah. And that film really connected to me there's a particular moment which i i don't know i felt like it was like a page from my life happening to me in there yeah so i think it must play a massive factor you bring so much of yourself to films don't you well let's come back to that a bit we maybe can do a few where we've been made aware of it ourselves it'd be a bit of truth telling there phil oh we might get a little bit emotional bring the tissues look that's okay that's all right real emotions what the the viewers pay for it's not true at all (laughs) nobody's viewing us nope uh all right gav thanks so much for email the naturals in touch dear super betty bros i recently watched girl with a pearl earring which is a story suggesting the background to Johannes Vermeer's famous painting of the same name, based on a book, right? Yes, Gartley Hansen plays the girl, doesn't she? Correct. Whilst it is fiction, it recreates the scenes of many of his paintings as part and parcel of the story. The original paintings are exquisite, and visual quality of the film is astonishing in capturing the same sense of light and composition. We've got an art fan here, Phil. Uh, it reminded me how skillful the production design, the lights, and the camera must be to produce such evocative and, <laughs> in, he's put in quotes, moving pictures. Oh, very It's worth looking through Vermeer's paintings in a book and then watching the film and the story does a great job of bringing strong undercurrents of emotional tension and drama into it which flare up at one or two key moments though not a good film overall and rather unhelpfully grim i think turner is similarly good for leading the viewer from his real world setting into his paintings uh that was the one with timothy spall it wasn't yep. very highly rated was it no people didn't like it, i don't think yeah good one he says what other films give a strong visual link to well-known paintings not artist biopics so much as their actual paintings any suggestions? I don't have enough off the top of my head, man. Do you? Um, I mean, what's funny is it's the type of filmmaking that it is is a bit like Shakespeare in Love. That's the thing which I'm thinking of. Okay, you know, Romeo creating a, a world which then kind of gives a scaffolding to bigger moments that you're aware of of a real life person or situations, and you think it's kind of pinging off references to a wider work and they do that a lot with musical films about about rock stars and musicians and things like that i mean even back to the future has that moment with chuck berry saying have a listen to this yeah that's true the idea of that new sound you've been looking for yeah like enriching a film by using uh existing knowledge and all that sort of stuff that's interesting and you know i don't know any artist paintings really well enough to uh, get on board with that the natural but thank you that's brilliant obviously we'll have to do some research before we check that one out um what i will say is that i saw a film called renoir quite recently which was a French-made film, which I thought was awful. I thought it was so tedious and pretentious, and to be honest, kind of an excuse to just have nudity in your film. I, oh, gosh. I thought it was just awful. So, I mean, if, if you are a Renoir fan, The Natural, and you can cope with my little summary of the film there, I'd be interested to know whether you think that film has any redeeming qualities whatsoever. In a completely different vein, Amy, you know, the documentary Amy. Yes. Maybe kind of, there's a real life thing with this, this idea that uh, The Natural's talking about in that it presents scenarios of her actual life and then plays the songs that she wrote with the lyrics up. Oh, wow. And it kind of massively connects those two. Well, as a suggestion, right? Yeah. Sure. Well, as a suggestion, but also kind of, a very you kind of think one. it's explicitly linking yeah. them and it gives a whole new colour to the to the songs. That sounds quite powerful, man. I still haven't seen that one. I am intrigued by it. Okay, he finishes off. P.S. Atomic Blonde was too relentlessly and dismissively violent for me to be able to enjoy it. Oh, dear. That's a minus one for you, though. Yeah, and then he says, however, Charlene Theron, Charlie, I think that's autocorrect there, causing a problem, was magnetic and impressive. I suggest the same tone with more emotional impact is found in 
the spy who came in from the cold with Richard Burton. I mean, that's, that's quite uh, different Carrey, in a couple of it? ways <laughs> so far. Uh, well worth a watch if you like that sort of thing. Good shows keep going. Uh, all right. Yeah, I, I have had that recorded on my little set-top boxy thing for a while, but not watched it yet, so maybe I will. You can almost hear the slowness in the title i know that's the only thing because <laughs> that's not a, it takes you a while to come in from a cold day isn't i know it? Like, well, take your coat cold... off and take your scarf <laughs> off and then you sort of and then you take your socks <laughs> you know what i mean it takes I know, a long I, time I, i'm with you man i'm there in the picture of the living room i got it but like i mean in terms of espionage in the cold war i think that's incredibly fertile ground for interesting stories sure even that tom hanks one what was it again bridge of spies Robbins, bridge of spies i, I really I enjoyed, enjoyed that because that. because the, the setting in the period is so kind of evocative and powerful uh, but it doesn't sound like it's got the same level of action not spectacular. the zip <laughs> yeah so i'm sorry if you felt that was too violent and i'm sorry if i wasn't clear enough about that in my review there is a high body count for sure but i thought it was kind of electrifying action even more so since i watched actually and phil i'm saying this to you as well um on youtube wired did a brilliant uh, video interviewing one of the stunt choreographers for Atomic Blonde, and then he gives a few tricks and tips about how they filmed what they filmed. Did it make it even more impressive? Yeah. Well, and it was, yeah, and in particular, stuff like the pace and the power of her action sequences came across even more, and it, it's really interesting that they paid specific attention to that, because that was one of the things I loved the most. Mm, so there we go. Paid off. Yeah, big time. Okay, a couple of tweets, and then we're out, Phil. Esther says, that's super ready, Rose. Tobler, number one. So Tobler and then the number one. Obla one. Obla one. Love it. Love it. Thank you, Esther, very much. <laughs> I really uh, enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, Alison says, why is there such a lull in movies since Dunkirk came out? It's been ages, but the new Kingsman and It film coming soon. Hooray. Yeah, those are going to be some big ones. Ragnarok, Thor Ragnarok's coming out as well, I think, soon. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think it's just one of those back to school things. I think they think people are going to be too busy kind of going back into the world of work. So they... Dunkirk was out a while ago now. That's about a month ago. Yeah, I think August is just classic holiday time, I think. It's been one of the lowest, in terms of this tiny section of the year, I've read some reports, don't quote me on it, I haven't got it in front of me, that it's been one of the lowest ever box office takings for this time of year. And that's, you know, the Hitman's Bodyguard was at the top for a while, but not with a lot of money at all. I think it has been really poor in terms of new films this season, I'd say. Mm, it has, yeah. So who knows, man? Maybe they're saving up some amazing gems for Oscars season because that's coming up too. Nicholas also wants to know our opinion of summer 2017 for movies. He that's says, kind of what we were just talking about, wasn't it? A little bit. Maybe we'll do that in more detail later, Nicholas. You're right. We haven't seen loads of it, but I think we've reviewed a lot of films nevertheless. Yeah, I think it might be the sort of thing where you have to wait a couple of months to let it settle and then you can kind of get a picture of the whole thing. We'll wait and see. He says, plus one for Hitman's Bodyguard. To me, that is, I guess, uh, though very basic in its screenplay with obvious use of stuntmans and CGI, it was still, you know, funny and entertaining enough. That's, I feel that's like... Surely that's plus one to me. Oh, you saw it as well, did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we both saw it, didn't we? That's right. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't. That. I didn't like it as much as you. I liked I, it, so I get, I I, that's stealing that one. You can take it, because I edged more on a thumbs down, so I guess technically that's a minus one for me too. Uh, he also says, how's Benedict Seal doing? I haven't heard him on the show for a while. Not many good horror movies out, although how about It?, uh, and Benedict helpfully supplies his own response, Nicholas. He says, thank you. It's been a quiet summer for horror, apart from Annabelle Creation, which we just not even mentioned. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Uh, and he says he's recently moved. That's quite right, Nicholas. Nick, um, Benedict has finished his degree. He's off to big things. So I don't know. Maybe we'll get him in for a guest slot sometime soon, but I can't imagine we'll see him that regularly anymore. Unfortunately not, but I know, uh, well, Benedict, but you're always welcome. We need to do a good thank you. Maybe we should do a highlight reel for him. Benedict, we love you. Yeah, great. <laughs> we can do some of your songs for him as well. Uh, and then they chat a bit about it. That is it. Thank you very much, everyone, for getting in touch by email and tweets. Keep them coming in. Superbellybros at gmail.com at Superbellybros on Twitter. Thanks for sticking with us with this What We've Been Watching special. And I think back to regular viewing things next week. Yeah, yeah, with a new sketch, whatever sketch. that means. <laughs> 
fit. It is. Yeah, as ever, when we try and do something different, it tends to take longer than we think. Always. Always. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed that, listeners. Lots of what we've been watching this week. Keep your thoughts coming in about films you'd like us to review. Look out for proper blockbuster stuff next week. This now film means that we've sort of done the stopgap, so now we're the other side of releases, which is good for us. So we can review them just after they come out. I might suggest that the podcast starts being released on a Wednesday. Wednesday. Perhaps. So watch this space. If you don't see it on the Friday, don't panic. Well, you will have already seen it on the Wednesday. Well, there you go. So don't you don't need to worry. You no. can still look at it on Friday, but you'll get it hot off the press on Wednesdays. That's right. Thanks very much, listeners. Get in touch with your thoughts on stuff. And especially if you go and see any of the new stuff that's out this weekend, give us your thoughts then and there, and you'll be ready, you know, to be featured as part of the reviews. Ooh, highlight reel. Boom, 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 boom. Right. Other than that, have a great week. Bye-bye for now. Bye. Right, Phil. I've got some philosophy for you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Not really. So there's a coffee shop I go to quite a lot in Oxford. Really nice one. And a key feature of it is that if you use their loose, the whole wall of the toilet is a blackboard surface and they provide a bowl with white chalk on it. Now, without saying anything else, what do you expect to be on that wall? Uh, what most schoolboys would draw on their friends' books. Precisely so, Phil. Which, and <laughs> what was in the toilets of our schools when we were growing up. And uh, was it on the walls? No. Oh. This is the thing, man. I thought, this is why I say it's philosophical. I think it's, no, what it's got on it is, uh, do something nice today for a stranger with a heart. Or uh, <laughs> Jesus loves you is on there as well. Or um, keep trying and you'll succeed. Never believe in failure. Do you get in the picture? Yeah, you have to fail to succeed, all that sort of couple stuff. couple of nice drawings of sort of girls' faces as well. Now, how expensive is this coffee? It's quite a fancy coffee, but it's not expensive coffee. It's poncy coffee, I would say that. <laughs> well, that's enough said then. That, Do you that's, think that's, that's what it is? That's the big filter. Well, Forget no, about coffee filters. On this existential this is a societal thing. filter. <laughs> <laughs> you can't fob me off like that, man. I was going to say, well, so what I want to know what has changed. Is it that graffiti nowadays... artists don't want chai lattes? <laughs> that's, not, that's what's changed. <laughs> Maybe you're right. Now you've ruined this. For oh, me sorry. What were you going to say? I Pretend I haven't said that. Well, it's too late now. I was going to say, if we assume that back in the day when we were youngsters, and that's what schoolboys used to draw on the walls of toilets. What right? are they drawing now? Why, are they, why do they not do it now? That's my question. What's changed? Is it that the whole world has changed? And nowadays that is not de rigueur. That is not what you do. Because actually we're a more tolerant, more progressive, more like loving society. So... When we have a chance to express ourselves, we cannot but love, Phil. Is that, mm. what, is that what's happened? Or <laughs> is it actually the same thing that's being expressed? The same attitude is being expressed. So it's all sarcasm. But the content is different now. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, so not sarcasm necessarily, but so if you sat there and you were a teenage boy and you used to draw, you know, whatever. Whatever on a book. You know, it was exactly, actually a sign yeah, of affection. But draw it, draw it there as kind of a joke and think, this is what I do when I have a blank canvas. And now this is what you do when you have a blank canvas. Is it a positive sign of good change and that people are better? Or are people the same? And just that nowadays the equivalent of a drawing of a man's thing is now uh, <laughs> do something nice today, even if you don't know the person. Do you, am I making An inspirational sense? quote has yeah, been is, replaced. Is that the equivalent mm-hmm. now? And, I, you know, does, is, do you get my point or have I failed? I don't know. I think most of the time when boys draw those things, they're wanting to elicit a laugh, aren't they? Well, exactly. But nowadays, so what is it when you have? <laughs> How do you get minutes? a smile from your friends? Yeah, <laughs> inspirational quote. It's funny, Phil. Having never really been man, a man to draw such things on my school textbooks, you must I used to do moustaches and blackout teeth. Oh to yeah, my eternal shame and all that sort of stuff. 
I am tempted to write quite anarchic things because I can't handle it. That's just <laughs> too sweet. So not what I want to see. <laughs> like not that I want to see the other thing, but so I can't handle these kind of anonymous platitudes of niceness. It just doesn't make you sense. You want your walls to me. like your coffee, black and bitter. Well, not bitter. But I think you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was interesting, but it wasn't. All right, bye. I thought it was good. Colin Trevio <laughs> You're the best newsreader ever I miss these little bloopers Don't include this one Maybe Kind one of has. does a real life this one Real life this one <laughs> Alright so, What's on? That's it, yeah It's a bit like when you're clocking off at the end of the day And you just have really weird chats while you're throwing around Like something to do with your job Yeah, I suppose it is Water cooler Water cooler moments with mm. Lauren Phil. 